Yeah, you don't want to miss seeing Old Faithful. You know, there are benches that are around Old Faithful, and, and it gets a good crowd of people sitting there. And when it starts to go off, I like to watch the faces in the crowd, and everyone's, you know, their faces are upturned, and, and you hear these, oh, sound. They make ghost sounds? <laughs> was that a... <laughs> Was that a ghost sound that you made? Okay. Or was that an ah? Okay, that was that was very weak of my voice. Weird. It was weak, but it was more weird than weak. Okay, my voice was cracking. I was getting a little choked up there. Let me try it again. It's more like ah. Wait, no, it's it's still scary. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're talking about 12 natural wonders in the United States that we think everyone should see in their lifetime. These 12 jaw-dropping wonders feature a wide variety of landscapes, canyons, mountains, a valley, a lake, a hot spring, and some unusual rock formations. We'll discuss the best viewpoints, the best time of year to go, and other important things to know when visiting. So come along with us for the next hour as we travel to some of the most amazing sites our country has to offer. Good morning. Today we are talking about 12 U.S. wonders to see in your lifetime. And as you can imagine, we had a tough time at narrowing this down to just 12 places. Yeah, I'm sure as soon as we publish this episode, we'll think of 10 or 15 more. I don't know, maybe this will be the first of a couple of episodes. But yeah, these are the these are 12 pretty cool sites to see in the lower 48 Yes, that are natural. Natural wonders. Yes, and we narrowed the list down to places that we have personally visited. For instance, I'm sure that Niagara Falls would be listed on most people's wonders to see in their lifetime, but we haven't been to Niagara Falls, so that one is not on this list. The other thing, we wanted to make sure that these sites, these places we're going to talk about, are fairly easy for everyone to access. So, you know, we've seen some spectacular sites that you have to climb up a mountain to see. Those are not on here. Right. The view from Sahali Glacier when we camped up there in North Cascades National Park, it's it's stunning. The wave that's in uh, right on the border of Utah and Arizona. And, of course, Havasu Falls. Yes. That's beautiful site that everyone should see. But both of those require permits that are very hard to get. And we didn't want to make this episode about these places that are really difficult to see. And then people kind of get discouraged that, well, that's great, but I'll never be able to get there. Right, right. So we wanted to talk about places where anyone could hop in their car and get to. Okay, Matt, so I already know that throughout this episode, we'll be using the words spectacular, amazing, and incredible, because those are our three go-to descriptors that we always use. So I did a quick Google search of some synonyms that we could substitute. So let's try to use jaw-dropping, breathtaking, extraordinary, astounding, astonishing, and my personal favorite, amazeballs. 
Yeah, I'm not going to use the word amazeballs. <laughs> you, you just aren't going to be able to get me to do that. Not, not in the world that we live in, Karen. It's a real word. I, d- I don't even want to say the word amazeballs, even just to refer to the word itself. <laughs> You're not going to say it, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. It's just, it's just not me, Karen. All right. I'll, I'll try to work it in if I can. Okay. Okay. You ready to get started? I am. What's our first wonder? Well, we're going to Arizona, and these first three that we're going to talk about are fairly close together, so you could visit them all in one trip. And we should also say that these 12 wonders, they're not listed in any particular order. We just, we tried to group them geographically a little bit, but this isn't like, you know, one through 12, like one is the best or anything like that. That's right. They're all number one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) But the first one (laughs) is so spectacular that uh, no one is going to be surprised that this is on our list. And that would be, of course, the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Right. And any part of the Grand Canyon is fantastic to view, but we're going to talk specifically about the view from the South Rim, because that's the easiest area to access. And my personal feeling is, I think that's the most spectacular view. Also, because the North Rim is closed For a huge chunk of the year, basically, what, November through May, it's tougher to plan a trip to the North Rim. So we're going to talk about the South Rim. When we first visited Grand Canyon about 20 years ago, I had no idea what to expect, and it really blew me away. Really, that's what began our quest to go see all the national parks. Right. You cannot beat the view, any view along the South Rim. Now, we should say, um, if you have not been to the Grand Canyon yet, here's a few statistics. It's bigger than the state of Rhode Island. Do they always use Rhode Island? Rhode, 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 Rhode Island, yes. <laughs> Poor it's, Rhode Island. It's the doormat of states. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say, but our backyard's bigger than Rhode, Rhode Island, Karen. We love all you people in Rhode Island. Uh, anyway, the Grand Canyon is about a mile deep. It's 277 miles long and 18 miles wide. So, Karen, why is it a must-see? And this is kind of a trick question because other people who are much better with words than us have said, it's just a fool's errand to try to describe it. It is so unique and amazing that it's one of those places you just have to see it. You do. It's almost undescribable, I think, looking down into the Grand Canyon. And one of the nice things, too, is depending on where you are along the South Rim, you know, there's a rim trail that runs for miles. The view is different as you walk along. You're you're looking at it from different angles and different spots. So it's always changing, but it's always amazing. And it changes by the season. You know, in the springtime and early summer, it, it can be much greener. In the wintertime, if there's just a little bit of snow, that just changes the view completely. Uh, There are times when there are thunderstorms coming in, and so you have these rainbows and lightning. There's times when you see it at the sunrise or sunset. It isn't just one site. It changes all the time. And it creates its own weather. It does create its own weather. (laughs) Right. So location-wise, it's in north-central Arizona. 
It's about 80 miles or 90 minutes north of Flagstaff. That would be the closest um, big city. I don't know if you call Flagstaff a big city, but uh, a lot of people fly in and out of Vegas, and it's about a four and a half hour drive from Vegas to the South Rim. Yeah, now we have been fortunate enough to see the Grand Canyon really from just about every angle. We've mm-hmm. been to the South Rim, North Rim. Uh, we've hiked down the Bright Angel Trail, a little bit of the si- South Kaibab Trail. We've visited Phantom Ranch, which is at the bottom of the canyon. And we've seen all points along the Colorado River that flows through the Grand Canyon during our Dory trips. Now, all that being said, there are some people who think that if you do not go below the rim of the Grand Canyon, you haven't really seen the Grand Canyon. And I would disagree with that. I think anyone who makes the journey to the South Rim and stands anywhere on the rim looking down is going to be treated to one of the most spectacular sights they will ever see in their lives. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it is... Beautiful and different and unique from the very bottom and along the trails, but I don't think you're getting shortchanged if all you're doing is looking over into the canyon from the south rim. We'll mention a couple of viewpoints, but again, any place along that rim trail is is a great spot to stop and, and look over. But typically, the most popular first-time views of Grand Canyon occur at either Mather Point or Yavapai Point. And along Hermit Road, there is also Hopi Point, which is really popular for people who want to watch the sunrise or the sunset. Now, that Hermit Road, we should mention, is only open to private vehicles during the winter months. So December, January, and February, when there's no shuttle. The other months, there is a shuttle bus that runs up that road, and that's that's really the only way to access that. I mean, you can ride a bicycle, and, yeah. you, and you can go on foot, sure, but sure. you can't drive private cars. Right. Okay, so let's talk about when is the best time to go. You know, the South Rim is at 7,000 feet elevation, and so in the winter, it can be winter-like. <laughs> it can. Uh, I guess, though, the crowds might be lower, mm-hmm. and some of the views could be spectacular. If you get a little bit of snow, you're going to see probably just a really unique amazing sight. However, you got to deal with the snow and the ice, and I guess a road could be closed. Now, summers are crowded and hot. So typically, like a lot of the parks, you know, our opinion of the best time to go would be spring or fall. Right. Um, Time of day, I don't think matters. Of course, the lighting is beautiful at sunrise and sunset. I know typically when we are visiting the South Rim, when it comes time for sunset, we are sitting in the bar at El Tor. Yeah, and we could see it if we kind of look, (laughs) kind of move our chair a little bit, had to look out a window, we can kind of see the sunset. We were there last October with our friends, John and Lolly, and we were we were in the bar having a drink, and I looked outside and I could see the sky was turning all pink. So I just grabbed my phone, ran out to the rim, which is literally right there. And I took one of the most beautiful videos I have ever taken in my entire life. And it literally took me about, you know, three minutes to to walk over to the rim. So one of those places where you get maximum return for minimal effort. Okay, so that is the Grand Canyon. What's our next wonder, Karen? If you follow the Colorado River upstream, just outside of the Grand Canyon National Park boundary is a bend in the river called Horseshoe Bend, and it's part of Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. 
So exactly what is this? It's a 1,000-foot-high overlook. Now, you're above the Colorado River, and you're looking down into the Colorado River uh, that comes out of the Glen Canyon Dam, so it's a few miles downstream from Glen Canyon. But what's spectacular about this is you're looking at a gooseneck. (laughs) (laughs) It's a piece of land that juts out. So when a river meanders, this is technically called an entrenched meander, It kind of curves back on itself, and from above, the river looks like a horseshoe, Mm -hmm. and then the piece of land in between looks like a gooseneck from above. So that's why you'll hear the term horseshoe or gooseneck. Thank you for that, Matt. That was very thorough. (laughs) Is there a geology channel that (laughs) I I could audition for? You would be a shoe-in for that one. Okay, so the thing about Horseshoe Bend is the view is stunning. I mean, it is really something to see. It's hard to describe it. And it's funny because it's one of those places where, and we'll talk about the, you know, the parking and hiking situation in a second, but you can't see it until you actually get up to the rim, to this overlook. So you're walking and walking and you're thinking, well, this is just okay. And then you get to the overlook and you look down and it's like, oh my God. Yeah. It's not a drive by. <laughs> it's it's not a drive, park, walk 10 feet and see it. You got to, you got to walk a little ways. Yes. It's about a five to 10 minute drive south of Page, Arizona. And so Page, Arizona is a little town that Glen Canyon Dam is is right next to. One thing we should say is that the parking lot itself is not in the NPS. So it's not in Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. It is owned by the city of Page. So it has its own entrance fee. Every time we've been there, it's cost 10 bucks. It's, an, it's a nice big paved parking lot, has uh, bathrooms and all that. But your America the Beautiful NPS pass is not going to get you in there. Right. There is actually no charge to visit the Overlook. There is the charge to park. To park. Yes. So you do have to pay $10 no matter what kind of pass you have. There's no getting around that. And once you park, there is a hike to get to this overlook of Horseshoe Bend. It's about three quarters of a mile. Now, if you have been there in the past, they've redone the trail. You used to go up and over this kind of mound of, it was sandy and it was a little, it wasn't strenuous, but I was huffing and puffing, but they rerouted the trail. And now you go around this hill instead of over the hill. It's slightly longer, but it's definitely easier. Yeah, somebody figured out, like, why are we walking up over this hill and then Mm -hmm. back down the other side? Can we just walk around it? And so that's now where the trail is. Now, we have talked in the past about Horseshoe Bend, and when you go, it will most likely be very crowded. It just seems like it's always crowded now because everyone wants to see it. And sometimes it's it's very much like a circus. There are crowds of people doing stunts, and sometimes we've seen people in costumes, and there's been music, and there's been bizarre behavior going on, people hanging off the edge of the cliffs to get selfies. And we usually hate that, and we usually try to steer clear of that. But in this case... It is worth it to see this view. Yeah, there is a lot of bizarre behavior. Yes, very um, bizarre behavior. Yeah, and, and people are not very cautious uh, along the eggs. It's not like we're everybody's parents, but there is some really dangerous behavior there. Yes. Now, they do have, in recent years, they did build a railing across a section of this overlook. So if you are uncomfortable with steep drop-offs like I am, you can stand behind the railing, still be up close, still get great photos, and you'll be fine. 
most of it, there is no railing. And that's where we get nervous watching other people, you know, hanging off the edge. There's little kids running around. There's people's dogs. So we just want to prepare you for what you might see there. (laughs) Yeah, dogs are supposed to be on a six-foot leash here, primarily for their own safety. Yes, because again, the drop-off is a 1,000 feet. Let's talk about when the best time to go is. Well, like a lot of these places, especially in Arizona, summer, it can get very warm. Mm -hmm. Um, But otherwise, you know, other than just really mid-summer, I think the rest of the year is a pretty good time to go. I was looking up, because we are not professional photographers at all, so I was looking up when is the best time of day for photography there at Horseshoe Bend. And it's interesting because everyone has a different opinion. I read a lot of blog posts. Some people think sunrise is best. Some people think sunset is is best. And there were people who said the middle of the day is best because there are no shadows. But we like to go at sunset. So yeah, we, we like going at sunset pretty much because we, we're not going to get up at <laughs> five in the morning and be there at sunrise. Sunrise is usually out for us on most occasions, unless we happen to be camping or backpacking in the area. All right, so that's Horseshoe Bend. And just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Horseshoe Bend are the beautiful Antelope Canyons on the Navajo Nation. So what the heck is Antelope Canyon? And this can be a little confusing. It's actually a very long canyon, but it starts, really, it starts at Lake Powell. And it goes for many miles into the desert. But there are a few parts of Antelope Canyon that are incredibly beautiful to see. And those are on Navajo land. We'll talk about how to access these. From the air, you wouldn't even see it, I think, a lot of times, because it's in Some places it's just an open wash, and in other places it's just a little crack in the ground. Today we're going to talk about both Lower and Upper Canyon. There is also a third canyon along this uh, drainage, if you call it that, and that's Canyon X. We have been, uh, we have toured that a couple times, and that is great as well. Not as long and as spectacular as the other two, but definitely also worth a visit. The canyons are part of the Navajo Tribal Park System. And you can only visit them with an authorized Navajo tour company. And I would argue that these are the most picturesque slot canyons in the world. Right. There are sections of the canyon where the wind and the water have carved out these slots. And the effect of that erosion caused just really interesting rock formations. And since you're down... Gosh, anywhere from you know ten feet to a hundred feet down into a canyon with the light filtering through. It's just it's a very unique place to see these rock formations. And we love to hike slot canyons, and we have done you know the Zion Narrows, and we've done Buckskin Gulch, and we've done most of the slot canyons in Utah, and we have never seen anything like this. So both of these, the upper and lower, are just a five to ten minute drive from Page. Really easy to get to. Yeah, we've done upper once, we've done lower twice. Both are incredible. The lower tour feels more like a hiking adventure. There are a couple of ladders, but Mm -hmm. I think almost anyone with mobility can navigate those ladders. I mean, they're a little steep. Yes. uh, Not a big deal. Okay, so we did an entire podcast episode about the Antelope Canyons, but we'll just touch on this really briefly. The lower Antelope Canyon, you can go through either Dixie's or Ken's tours. It's the same tour, the same experience. We found out they are related. They're either brother and sister or cousins, and the two tour companies sit right next to each other just outside the entrance to the lower canyon. 
and reservations go quickly. So we suggest you get your reservations online as early as possible, as soon as you know that you're going to be in the area. Um, you do have to descend a metal staircase to get into the lower, and there is a staircase to get out. Mm-hmm. It's about a 60-minute tour, and you really should arrive 30 minutes ahead of time. And tickets are currently $55. The upper Antelope Canyon, the reservations seem a little harder to get. Yes, and this is confusing, and we get a lot of questions about which tour company to go with for the upper, because when you Google it, you will have a lot of choices. Now, the company, the tour company that sits right outside this canyon is antelopecanyon.com. You can buy advanced tickets from them. And, you know, you show up, you drive yourself, you park, and they take you in their trucks to the canyon. There are other tour companies online, but they're going to charge you more because they're going to drive you there instead of driving yourself. So if you go through antelopecanyon.com, the tickets are currently $85. I saw another tour company that drives you there, and their tickets for Antelope Upper Antelope were $145. So do your research, and maybe you do want somebody to drive you there. That's totally up to you. But you shouldn't have to pay more than $85. Now, the tours themselves, they run for about 100 minutes, start to finish. Uh, About 40 minutes of that is driving, so 20 Mm -hmm. minutes each way, and roughly an hour on site in in the canyon itself. So the best time to go, you know, summer, June through September is monsoon season, and they keep a very, very close watch on the weather. So they close the tours when there is a chance of rain or flood danger. Um, And it can also, of course, be very hot in this part of the country in the summer. But otherwise, the tours are open all year round. Same as Lower Antelope Canyon. Mm -hmm. Tours are open all year round. Right. Now, it does snow. It's rare that it snows in the winter. But people have said in those rare situations where there's a dusting of snow that it's just incredible views. I would not hesitate if winter is when you're going. You could definitely do the tour. Now, the time of day, if you are um, really into photography and you want to get the best photos, we read that the best time of day to do the tour is from 11 to 1, but that also depends on the time of year that you're there because the angle of the sun is different. Yeah, so if you really are interested in you know getting exactly the right angle of sun and, and catch the light beams, just just call the tour company. They know exactly when the best time to go. If you want to do both tours, they are located very close to each other. So once you look at their timetable online, you can easily do both of these canyons in one day. That's right. Okay, so that's Antelope Canyon. Let's move on to our number fourth wonder, which is Delicate Arch in Utah. It is probably the most photographed arch in the world. So Delicate Arch is in Arches National Park. It's a 52-foot freestanding natural arch. Yeah, and I think one of the things that makes it so spectacular is because for all of you who've been to Arches National Park and you've seen, you know, some of the 3,000 arches that are in the park, a lot of them are connected to other rock formations. And so you see this arch, which is, you know, a span, but there are a lot of other big rocks next to it. But because Delicate Arch is a freestanding arch all by itself, and the view behind it is incredible, it really is the most photogenic arch we've ever seen. 
Yeah, so Arches National Park, it's a couple of miles north of the town of Moab in Utah. And to get to Delicate Arch, it does require a three-mile round-trip hike. And the elevation gains about 480 feet. It's not super easy, but I also would say like, it's not strenuous. No, it's not strenuous. I think for any average hiker, it's totally doable. If you are not a hiker, then it might be a, just a little more challenging. Now, when you get to the arch, it will probably be crowded. Uh, generally, people line up to get their photo taken under the arch. You may have to, if you just want to get a picture of the arch with no people under it, you might have to ask the line to take a pause for a couple of minutes. And if you do this, the 500 people who want a picture of just the arch without somebody standing underneath it will thank you. Um, we have actually had to do this a time or two. We did. And it worked great. Yeah. People, people were very accommodating. They they held the line. We all snapped a photo of the beautiful arch and it was, it was all good. Now, if you don't want to hike to the arch, if you don't want to deal with this three-mile round-trip hike, you can see the arch from, there are two different delicate arch overlooks. You simply drive past the parking lot for delicate arch to the end of that road. And from there, there are two different viewpoints. There is the lower overlook and the upper overlook. Right, and those are fairly easy trails. The, the lower overlook is just a 200-foot round-trip walk, and the upper is about a half-mile round-trip with a little bit of elevation gain, but not much. They call it moderately strenuous. But that's definitely an option if you don't want to hike to the arch, but you want to see it. So the best time to go, it's a little hard to say because um, in the summer, of course, it can be hot and it can be crowded. But in the winter, it can be icy to hike there. I don't know if you heard the story back in November of 2019. There, there was a husband and wife in their 60s who died from a fall into the lower bowl. Um, and the weather had been raining and snowing. Their 30-year-old son was with them. He also fell, but he survived. Now, the Arches National Park chief ranger said that fatal falls at Delicate Arch aren't common, but that inclement weather can make the trail tricky to maneuver. So, you know, just be careful if it's icy. Also, if you have small kids with you, you're going to want to keep a really close eye on them because there is one very short section of the trail just before you get to the arch that's narrow, and it has a little bit of a steep drop-off right there. Yeah, and you have to be pretty patient to let people pass. Uh, it's really in a few places. I think it's only room for one person to pass either way. Yeah, watch the kids and around that area. Also, that bowl, it's, it's right there in the middle where everyone's kind of sitting around looking at the arch. And it's a kind of a gradual drop off into it. So you could I could see people walking and playing around the eggs. But yeah, stay away from the bowl. Definitely. And now time of day, this is the most popular hike in Arches. So the parking lot is going to fill up. So go early, 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 or in the evening, you know, a lot of day trippers leave around five. And so it's probably less crowded in the evening as well. And Arches National Park is one of those timed entry parks. So make sure that uh, you get your reservation to get in the park. That's during the busy season. So, you know, look online, see if when you're going, you, it requires a, a vehicle reservation so you can make sure you get in. Okay, let's keep it moving. We're going to leave the Arizona-Utah area and go to California. 
Our number five wonder is Yosemite Valley in Yosemite National Park. And why do we think this is a must-see? Because when you have that view of looking into Yosemite Valley, you are looking into this gorgeous valley that's surrounded by these towering granite monoliths. Did I say that? <laughs> do I have a lisp? It sounds yeah, like it's I have mon- a lisp. monoliths. Monoliths. Uh, and then you've got, of course, plunging waterfalls. You know, it's hard for us to put it into words. So I'm going to quote John Muir. He first visited Yosemite Valley in 1868, and he was a great champion of protecting this land. And he said, it is by far the grandest of all the special temples of nature I was ever permitted to enter. Yeah. Similar to the Grand Canyon. Actually, you could probably put all of these in that category. You you just have to see it. Just to give you an idea of where it is in California, it is about a four-hour drive directly east of San Francisco. So a lot of people visiting this park fly in and out of San Francisco. One of the best views of the valley is what's called the tunnel view. So if you're at the western entrance to Yosemite Valley, um, you'll come to the tunnel view as you're driving into the valley. It's on the east end of the Wawona Tunnel along Wawona Road, which is also Highway 41. It's really one of the most famous panoramas of Yosemite Valley, and it has this perfect like frame of pine trees and wide open sky above. It's it's just a really beautiful view. It is. Every time I see it, either in person or in a photo, it looks to me like a painting. It's almost too beautiful to imagine that this place is real. And of course, you've got El Capitan and, and Half Dome rising in the background. So tunnel view is definitely a must-see stop when you're visiting Yosemite. Now, another great view of the valley is called Valley View. And as you're leaving Yosemite Valley near the south entrance, you can stop at this roadside lookout. It's along the one-way north side drive right before you reach Pahono Bridge. You've got the Merced River there flanked by El Capitan. And then opposite, you've got uh, Cathedral Rocks and Spires. So this is another great viewpoint to take in the valley. Now, there's another viewpoint of the valley, but this is from above. This is Glacier Point. It might be the most spectacular view of the park. Yeah, I think so. It's at the end of Glacier Point Road, and that's about an hour's drive from the valley. It was closed all last year, which was a disappointment, but they were redoing the road, and it will be open this summer once they finish plowing it. This Glacier Point, you cannot access it in the winter because of all the snow. But when you're standing up there, you have this amazing view of Half Dome, Yosemite Falls, and Yosemite's high country. From the Glacier Point parking lot, there's a short wheelchair-accessible trail that takes you to this incredible view, which is 3,214 feet above the valley floor. So you're looking down on the valley here. Yeah, it is really something to see. Uh, But as we said, you can only visit this area from sometime in late May until November-ish when it is closed due to snow. All right. uh, When's the best time to go? Depends on what you want to do. Of course, spring, the waterfalls are flowing at at their fullest, um, but the trails are snow-covered. Winter, you got snow and parts of the park are closed. If you want to hike, really, summer and fall are the best. 
Right. If you want to see all the areas of the park that we talked about in our Yosemite episode, that's going to be summer and fall. All right. Our next wonder is close by the Sequoias. They're also in California. And in particular, we think people should see the General Sherman tree or the General Grant tree or both. These magnificent trees are a sight that everyone needs to see. So sequoias are the largest trees by volume, the most massive trees on earth. Yeah, there's some trees that are taller, but if you just look at the the sheer volume of these incredible trees, these are the biggest trees on the planet. And what, the General Sherman tree is the biggest? It's the world's largest tree measured by volume. It stands 275 feet tall, and it's over 36 feet in diameter at the base. Now, General Sherman is in Sequoia. Also, the cool thing about um, Sequoia trees, they don't taper much at the top. They they keep their diameter. Right. They're yeah. big and chunky. They, they are chunky. And the First branches sometimes are, you know, 100 feet up above the ground, and some of those branches are bigger than most trees. General Sherman is in Sequoia in the Giant Forest, and General Grant Tree is in Grant Grove in Kings Canyon. Now, to visit both of these trees, you do have to take a short walk. The General Sherman is about a half a mile walk. And the General Grant tree is about a third of a mile walk. Yeah, so both of those are pretty accessible. Yes, definitely. Now, when we have been in Sequoia, we then continue on, and it's called the Congress Trail. And there's another two-mile loop, and there's incredible trees back there. Yes, do not miss this. You know, a lot of people, they walk down the hill. You have to walk down to see the General Sherman tree. They look at it, take some photos, and then they walk back up to their car. But there's so much more to see. So not just the Congress Trail, but also beyond that, you can do the entire Giant Forest Loop, and that is about seven miles. And it's not very strenuous. And once you continue past the Congress Trail, there are a lot fewer people back there. Oh my gosh, yes. You will find maybe not solitude, but the crowds drop off by a lot. All right, when's the best time to go? Again, probably spring, summer, fall, although certainly not this spring due to the wild weather and park closure. You know, Sequoia and Kings right up there by the visitor centers, they're up at 7,000 plus feet of elevation. They can get a lot of snow in the winter, especially Sequoia, and the roads can be closed due to snow. I would love to see these giant sequoias in the snow, but for anybody who's flying in and getting a rental car, I mean, you need tire chains, you need winter driving equipment. It's not a great idea unless you're driving yourself and you have the appropriate vehicle to visit in the winter. It's really tough up there. But summer is beautiful. I would say that's probably the ideal time summer and fall to visit. Okay, our next wonder is Devil's Tower National Monument. Now, this is in Wyoming, and it's the country's first national monument. Yes, very special in that way. It's also very special because Devil's Tower is this rock tower that rises almost 1,300 feet above the surrounding landscape. So it is just this anomaly that rises up out of the ground. It's really something to see. It is. And people wonder how this rock tower rose up out of the earth. And actually what happened, Karen, is when that 
magma or liquid rock came up from the center of the earth to the surface, the surrounding area was equal to the top of the tower. And what happened was all of the area around it just eroded away. So these rocks didn't shoot up above the Great Plains. It actually was right at ground level and then everything else around it eroded away. Again. Well, again, uh-huh. again, with the Geology Channel. Matt, I think I hear your phone ringing. Yeah, we're going to have to pause the recording while I answer the Geology Channel's phone call. There you go. All righty. It is one of the Earth's most impressive geological features. It's also a very spiritual place to Native Americans, and it's a very popular place to go rock climbing. Right. There are hundreds of parallel cracks that divide Devil's Tower into large hexagonal columns. And these make it one of the finest traditional... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And these make it one of the finest traditional crack climbing areas in the country. You you put that on the outline just to get me to say crack climbing, didn't you? I'm sorry. I don't know why I think that's so funny. I just because okay, you're because I'm twelve. Because you're a twelve year old. <laughs> you said it pretty well, though. Actually, pretty, uh-huh. yeah. Here you go. Okay. So a lot of people, including us, add on a visit to Devil's Tower when they're visiting the Black Hills area of South Dakota, because it's only, I don't know, maybe a two-hour drive to get to Devil's Tower, and it's definitely worth the add-on. You could, you know, just do it in a day. Yeah, especially if you're going from the Black Hills further west to do other things, like go to Yellowstone. Sure. Now, when we've been there, we've always hiked the Red Beds Trail. Uh, There's two trails around the tower, though one closest to the tower, Tower Trail, is easy, about a 1.5-mile loop. And then the Red Beds is out a little bit further, but it's not that long of a hike. It's maybe, what, 2.7 miles? I think that's right, yeah. Now, the thing is about these trails, you can't always see the monument when you're hiking around the monument because of the forests and things. But we just wanted to mention one of the best views of Devil's Tower comes from the Joiner Ridge Trailhead. This is one of the quietest yet most scenic places in the park. So to get there from the park entrance station, you take the park road for about two miles, and then you're going to turn left onto a gravel road. There is a sign just before you turn, and the sign is for Joiner Ridge. You're going to take the gravel road for about a third of a mile, and then on your right is a small gravel parking area. We love to go there. Not only is there a Joiner Ridge Trail there, which is a great trail to hike, but just up the hill from the parking lot is a picnic bench with one of the best views in the park. If you go up that hill and you sit on the banks, you got this meadow in front of you. And you got a little bit more elevation. So, yeah, that's secret spot to see the tower. It is. It looks like they landscaped it because it's so perfectly beautiful. Again, one of those places to me that looks like a painting. Yeah, I don't know that there is a bad time to visit Devil's Tower. However, just keep in mind that the first couple of weeks in August is typically the Sturgis Rally. And Sturgis is not that far away, maybe an hour and a half. And it is a popular place for the motorcyclists to come visit during the rally. So 
if you're going to the rally, you're probably going to go to Devil's Tower, and that's great. You'll be with thousands of other <laughs> uh, riders. Uh, if you want to avoid the riders, uh, might want to skip the first couple weeks of August. Other than that, probably any time of year is beautiful. You know, maybe winter, I think it could get snowy there. But other than that, definitely put Devil's Tower on your list. All right, let's move to Oregon. Our eighth wonder is Crater Lake, which is in Crater Lake National Park. Yeah, this is another one of those views that when you see it, you understand why it's one of the wonders of our lower 48. It's a nearly 2,000 foot deep lake that was formed when essentially the volcano blew and left the caldera there. It's the deepest lake in America. It once was a 12,000 foot high mountain, Mount Mazama. And then it collapsed about uh, 7,700 years ago. And this blue lake is in the middle of the caldera. And that's what it's famous for, this incredible blue color. And one of the interesting things is the lake's water comes directly from snowmelt and from rain. There are not any inlets from any other water sources. Right. And and it's not it doesn't drain out anywhere. Right. So that water, all the water that's in there, it's just captured from rain and snow. Yes. And so it's one of the cleanest and clearest lakes in the world. There is no sediment. There are no mineral deposits. So just absolutely unbelievable to see it in person. Yeah, now Crater Lake is in southern Oregon. It's uh, fairly remote. Uh, It's not that far from Lassen Volcanic National Park, or Redwoods National Park for that matter. Right, it's a good add-on for those parks. Now, a lot of people who visit our three national parks in Washington, they have told us or, you know, asked us about visiting Crater Lake during the Washington park visit, and it is very far, and we would not recommend that. In fact, if you're in Portland, Oregon, it's still a a four-and-a-half-hour drive from Portland, so it's not a good add-on to the Washington. Washington National Parks. And because it's so remote, we like to stay inside the park at the historic Crater Lake Lodge, which is situated right on the rim. If you listen to our Crater Lake episode, you might remember our bizarre story about getting room keys to a room that was already occupied. (laughs) By a pair of naked, angry guests. (laughs) One of the stranger things that's happened to us over the years, and probably to them as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I wonder if they have a podcast, and they're telling the story about how people walked in on them. Right. (laughs) But whether you're staying inside the park or not, a great thing to do is to drive the 33-mile rim road that circles the entire lake. And along that road, there are more than 30 scenic pullouts. Yeah, and we've done that uh, drive a couple of times. But there's also a way to see the lake by water. Mm -hmm. You can take a two-hour ranger-led boat tour. The tours run about July 1st through mid-September. So you have to check the website for the exact dates in any given year. Right. Now, the only thing to note about the boat tour is because you start up on the rim, you have to hike down to the boat dock on the water. And that's going to be about a one mile hike down and 700 feet elevation change. And it might not be so bad hiking down to the boat. But of course, when the boat gets back, you have to hike yourself back out. So just note that you do have to do that if you want to do a boat tour. 
as far as best time of year to go, uh, winter can be pretty snowy there. It's one of the snowiest places in the U.S. So you could go in the winter if you want to snowshoe or cross-country ski, but the rim road is closed to cars, so you'll be traveling there on foot. We would suggest July, August, September. Those are the best months to see it. Right. And June is not great because it's still going to be very snowy. The hikes, the trails will be snow covered. And that rim road is likely to not be fully open yet. So definitely July, August, September. The time of day does not matter at all. Any time of day is gorgeous to take in the beautiful Crater Lake. Okay, Matt, what's next up? Our next one is going to the Sun Road, at least the alpine section of it, in Glacier National Park. Now, I know the road itself isn't a natural wonder, but what you're going to see on that road is. Right. The road is the access point to all of these natural wonders in Glacier. And, you know, they built it back in, gosh, I think it was completed in 1933. They built it to connect the west side of Glacier with the east side of Glacier. And it took decades of planning and construction, and it is considered an engineering marvel. Yeah, so why is it a must-see? Really, it's the incredible views. I mean, it's a like you said, it's an engineering marvel, so it's pretty cool to see how they built this road up there. But really, the best views of the alpine section of the park. Right. Now, the entire road runs for 50 miles, but we're specifically talking about that high alpine section, the part that's only open, usually, you know, July through September. Um, And at its highest point, the highest point in the park reachable by car is Logan Pass at around 6,646 feet. The Logan Pass Visitor Center is at the summit and it straddles the Continental Divide. And so from that point, not only do you get the chance to see some incredible views, but there is also a ton of wildlife up there. There is a lot of wildlife and you could see grizzly bears and mountain goats. Tons of mountain goats up there usually. There are two ways that you can get onto going to the Sun Road. You can either enter in West Glacier or you can enter on the east side at St. Mary's. Yeah, now we have driven this road several times. Mm-hmm. We've driven it in really beautiful weather uh, and we've been up there when it's foggy and we couldn't see the road in front of the car or the steep drop off next to the car. That was a lot of fun. That was one of the most white-knuckle drives we have ever been on, for sure. Yeah, that's right. And one time, we took the hiker shuttle. Which actually was a pretty good deal, because we didn't have to worry about driving the road. Although, as I was sitting on the shuttle and looking out on the cliff side of the road, I couldn't see the road. (laughs) All you could see was the (laughs) drop-off? Yeah, nothing but air. (laughs) The hiker shuttle did make me nervous, because... You know, you have this lack of control, right? And as I was watching our shuttle bus driver, there was another hiker sitting next to him, across from him on the front seat. And he was talking to her the entire way and looking at her. And I kept wanting to say, watch the road, watch the road. Yeah, stop asking him questions. Yes, don't distract the driver. Now, we should say that this road is only open 
for a few months in the summer. Right. And they don't really announce when it's going to be open until it's almost open. So it's tough to plan. We know a lot of people who have visited the park in June and have been disappointed because the road didn't open until after their visit. So if you want to make sure, don't plan your visit before July 1st, because oftentimes it opens that first week or two in July. Yeah. And you also need a reservation to drive the road. You're the reservation (laughs) expert of the family. Karen, when do you need a reservation? Well, so if you're going in on the west side, you need a vehicle reservation from May 26th through September 10th, and that's from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. And the reason it starts May 26th is because on the west side, there are other things that people are visiting Obviously, we just said that that Alpine section of the road isn't open yet, but you also have Lake McDonald Lodge along there and, of course, Lake McDonald, and you've got some great hikes like Avalanche Lake and things like that. So people are accessing that lower part of the road, and you'll need a reservation. Going in on the east side at St. Mary's, you need a vehicle reservation from July 1st through September 10th, and that's also from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yeah, the other thing we should mention is that uh, going up over the road to Logan Pass, there is a limit of 21 feet for a vehicle. So you, you cannot drive a vehicle more than 21 feet, which essentially means you can't pull anything. Like, I, I don't know that a vehicle and the thing it pulls in, in total could be less than 21 feet. And they do have rangers at the top checking for vehicles that are longer than 21 feet. You also have a width maximum of eight feet, including mirrors. We know of people (laughs) who have gotten to Logan Pass who are longer than 21 feet, and the ranger pulls them over and gives them a ticket and and sends them back in the direction they, they came from. That is a long drive back down going to the Sun Road, and then, of course, driving around the park. Now, when you're at Logan Pass, don't miss all the great hiking opportunities. That is, if you can find a parking spot at the Visitor Center parking lot. Another reason why taking a hiker shuttle up there is is a good thing, because you don't have to worry about parking. But uh, yeah, we've hiked to Hidden Lake. That was a beautiful hike. That was beautiful. There's also the Highline Trail, which is is a very long trail, but you could certainly just do a section of it and then turn around and come back to Logan Pass. And there are some other um, hikes as well, but a great jumping off point to see wildlife and to do some great hikes. But yes, that Logan Pass parking lot up there at the Visitor Center fills up so quickly. And then the rangers are standing out in the road, not letting anyone in. So you don't even have the option of pulling in and circling and waiting for somebody they don't even let you turn in. Right. So I think we already covered when is the best time to visit. You're going to want to hike at Glacier. You're going to want to see this Alpine section. So go July through September. And the best time of the day to see this part of the park, early in the morning or later in the day. Okay. So Karen, the next wonder is Mount Rainier in Mount Rainier National Park in, in the state of Washington. And specifically... We're suggesting the sunrise area. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the view from the other side of the mountain, Paradise, is beautiful also. But we're going to talk about sunrise, which is in the northeast corner of the park. Right. First, we should mention what Mount Rainier is. 
It is 14,410 feet tall, and it's the highest volcanic peak in the contiguous United States. It has the largest alpine glacier system outside of Alaska. And Sunrise, the Sunrise area is at 6,400 feet, and it's the highest point that you can take a vehicle in Mount Rainier National Park. Right. And why do we think this is a must-see? Because the views are unbelievable. When you drive up there, you hit Sunrise Point before you get to the big parking lot. And there is a small parking lot there and you can get out and take in the view. But there, from Sunrise Point, there is a 360 degree view of the surrounding valleys and Mount Rainier and the other volcanoes in the Cascade Range like Mount Adams. Yeah, Mount Adams is pretty close, and it's a spectacular sight in and of itself. Right, but the thing we love about Sunrise is when you pass this Sunrise Point and you are driving towards the visitor center up there, towards the big parking lot, Mount Rainier is in your face practically. I mean, it's just amazing how close and how big the mountain is to to the road. Now, once you get up there, you know, it's not just the views that are incredible, but there are some really great hikes from that particular um, parking lot. We have done the Mount Fremont Fire Lookout Tower, and we've done the Burroughs Mountain Trail, and both of those were spectacular. Yeah, and both of those have very similar views. So now I don't think one's better than the other. We've also seen mountain goats up there when we've uh, hiked. Uh, that Mount Fremont lookout is great because you also get the bonus of seeing a lookout and you can climb up in it. And a lot of times there's a volunteer ranger that can talk about the lookout and, and tell you what you're what you're looking at. Now up there, there is also a visitor center and there is a day lodge. Now you can't you can't spend the night there. It's just a day lodge, and it does have at least the last time we were there, it did have some food options. Okay, best time of year to go, that Sunrise Road usually opens late June or early July, and it closes late September. So there you go. That's yeah, in that window is the best time to go. Right, and you definitely want to go early. If you go mid-morning to this area, first of all, there will be a huge lineup of cars at the entrance station, and second of all, the parking lot could be full. So definitely, definitely go early. Okay, moving on to our 11th wonder, which is Bryce Canyon Amphitheater in Bryce Canyon National Park, and this is in Utah. This is such a beloved park, and one of the things that makes it so beloved is the landscape. Now, Bryce Canyon has these spires of rocks that are called hoodoos, and a hoodoo is um, a pinnacle or a spire or, you know, an odd-shaped rock that was left... You know what, Matt? You're the geology channel guy. I'm going to let you, you take that. Yeah, wind and water <laughs> erosion c- created the hoodoos. Every, everyone knows that, Carrie. <laughs> what makes them so spectacular is, one, is their color. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and the color changes depending on the height of the hoodoo. And the, you've got this pink, coral, orange, and kind of at the top, you've got like a off-white color. So the colors are spectacular, and the shapes are just unusual. They are very unusual. And Bryce Canyon is famous for having the largest concentration of hoodoos in the world. And I don't know how many hoodoos they have, but there are literally thousands. Yeah, this is a unique landscape. Mm. I don't think you're going to see this anywhere else other than this 
part of the southwestern United States. There are a couple of other areas where you can see hoodoos, like Cedar Breaks National Monument, which is not too far from Bryce Canyon. Uh, it has a lot of hoodoos, but uh, yeah, Bryce is definitely a must-see. Absolutely. And one of the great things that I really love about Bryce is that you can hike down into the amphitheater. So there are two ways to see these hoodoos, right? There is the rim trail that sits on top of the amphitheater. It follows the edge of the rim, and it runs for about five and a half miles or you can hike down on one of the trails into the amphitheater. So both are amazing ways to see the hoodoos. Yeah, and for people who have limited mobility, you can get to the rim pretty easily. You can park fairly close, and and the walk to the edge of the rim is is fairly short and easy. And then looking down in the amphitheater, that's a spectacular view. If you did nothing but look over into the amphitheater, that, that would be a spectacular sight. It's like the Grand Canyon. It's similar to that where you just have to make it to the edge of the rim and look down, and it is such a treat. One of the most popular stretches along that rim trail is from Sunrise Point to Sunset Point. It's only a half a mile. It's an easy, flat trail along the rim there, so that's a great thing to do. So there's other ways to see down into the canyon as well. You can drive to several overlooks. So you've got Inspiration Point, Rainbow Point, Yavimpa Point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are all places you can drive to and very short walk to an overlook. Right. These are further away. So, you know, your views are bigger, but they're also a little bit further away, but all spectacular and very easy to access. Okay. Best time of year to visit? Really, spring, summer, fall are all great. Winter can be snowy, but we've been there in winter. Matter of fact, we were there one January right after a blizzard, and the site was incredible. Now, it's icy, and it's treacherous walking, but uh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful to see it in the snow. That was in my wish bucket, and it did not disappoint. Now, the thing is, if this is your only visit to Bryce, you know, in the winter, they close the road, the park road past the this main amphitheater section. So you cannot go to the end of the road where there are bristlecone pine trees and some of these overlooks. So you can't access the whole park in the winter. If that matters to you, then you might want to go in the spring, summer, or fall. Yes. And with regard to time of day with, you know, like we said, with most of these places early in the morning or evening, we suggest, you know, the earlier you can get there, the more likely you are to beat the crowd, actually find a parking spot. Bryce Canyon is such a popular spot for for good reason. It can get crowded. If you're looking for a little more solitude and you're um, a fairly strong hiker, we'd suggest the Fairyland Loop Trail. That is further away from the main amphitheater section. Uh, It gets fewer people and it's a little more strenuous hike. So we've always found uh, a lot of space to be by ourselves on that trail. That's right. All right, our very last wonder to see in your lifetime is located in our country's very first national park, Yellowstone. And we are going to talk about an incredible wonder called Grand Prismatic Spring. 
Grand Prismatic Spring is the third largest spring in the world, and it's deeper than a 10-story building. And what is amazing about this, and you may have seen pictures of it if you haven't actually seen it in person, is that this hot spring has these bands of color that surround it. So really, really bright colors like orange and yellow and green, and they circle the center, which is this deep, deep blue color. Yeah, it's the entire rainbow. And and we're not talking about, well, if you catch it at just the right time of day and you kind of squint your eyes that maybe you'll see it. These are bright colors. Oh, yes. Um, now, this is located in Midway Geyser Basin, which is north of the Old Faithful area. And Midway Geyser Basin has some other cool um, springs and thermal features also. It's not just Grand Prismatic Spring. There's a boardwalk there that you can walk right past the spring, and it's about a 0.8-mile one-way boardwalk that goes past Grand Prismatic and some other thermal features. Right, and that's a great way to see it. However, there is a new, fairly new, overlook. It used to be that people would scramble up this hill that sits above Grand Prismatic Spring, and so many people created social trails that the park actually came in and built an official trail. So now you can hike up. It's a, it's a very short hike up to this overlook. To get there, you have to park in a different lot, the Ferry Falls parking lot. And from that parking lot, it's about a 0.8-mile walk to the overlook. So if you're going to go there and back, it's 1.6-mile round trip. The last 0.2 miles is an uphill walk on a dirt spur trail. And when you get up there, you're actually looking down on the entire Midway Geyser Basin area. And front and center is the gorgeous Grand Prismatic Spring. And you can see it a lot better from up there. You can see the entirety. You can see the colors better. So we would highly recommend that you go to this overlook um, if you want to, you know, to really see it and get some good photos. All right, best time of year to go would be, I think, May through October, because in the winter, you got a lot of snow. The, the park roads are closed. In that area. In, in that area, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, the time of day, we have gotten there early before to beat the tour bus crowds, you know, when you're going to park in that Midway Geyser Basin lot. But what we found out is that this Grand Prismatic Spring can be covered with mist in the morning, making it really hard to see. And that happened to us the last time, remember? Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, it was. It was hard to see. And sometimes when you're on a tight schedule, you can't uh, come back later. Exactly, because we were leaving the park the, the last time. So actually, if you're going to park in that main lot and walk the boardwalk, probably later in the day is best after the day trippers have gone home. Yeah. Now, one thing we should mention, people might have thought when we mentioned Yellowstone National Park that we were going to say Old Faithful Geyser was was the wonder. And that was originally on our list. We we just couldn't decide between Old Faithful and Grand Prismatic Spring. It was on our list, uh-huh. and it is spectacular. Grand Prismatic Spring is not that far from Old Faithful, so that's a great add-on. Old Faithful erupts about every 90 minutes or so. So, yeah, you can head over there and see Old Faithful. Yeah, you don't want to miss seeing Old Faithful. You know, there are benches that are around Old Faithful, and it gets a good crowd of people sitting there. And when it starts to go off, I like to watch the faces in the crowd, and everyone's, you know, their faces are upturned, and and you hear these, oh, sounds. They make ghost sounds? (laughs) Was Was that a ghost sound that you made? Okay. Or was that an... Ah, okay. That was that was very weak. Um, my voice. Weird. It was, it was, 
It was weak, but it was more weird than weak. <laughs> okay, my voice was cracking. I was getting a little choked up there. Let me try it again. It's more like, ah, wait, no, it's <laughs> still it's, scary. It's <laughs> not, not so much scary as just weird. Wow. Ah, ooh. Yeah, How's that? that? Is that better? So good. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it gives me goosebumps to to watch how people react to these these kinds of incredible places, to all of the wonders that we have talked about here today. So Old Faithful is a bonus wonder to add to the list of 12. And of course, there are many other bonus wonders out there. You know, it's so important for our health and our mental well-being to seek out these places that make us feel this sense of awe and wonderment. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more details about the places we talked about, we have full-length episodes on almost all of them. Grand Canyon, Antelope Canyon, Arches, Yosemite, Sequoia and Kings Canyon, Glacier, Mount Rainier, Crater Lake, Bryce Canyon, and Yellowstone. That's that's quite a few episodes. I know, that's did we, a lot. Did we do all of them? <laughs> we did. <laughs> you can find a complete list of our episodes on www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com And we're working on a lot of very exciting new episodes. We have one coming out um, probably in June about some extraordinary state parks. And coming soon, we'll have one featuring our country's beloved national mammal, the bison, and where you can find them throughout our public lands. Yeah, they're the emblem of the continent. Yes. One of the greatest survival stories of all time, the bison, how they were brought back from the brink of extinction. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to work Geology Channel into that one, but there will definitely be History Channel. Okay, well, I'll see what I can do. Okay. (laughs) 